This episode of The Startup Life is brought to you by People Ready. Startup Nation, you have a lot on your plate. The last thing you need to stress about is finding quality staff or the available work you need to be successful. Save time and headache by working with a trusted staffing partner that meets your everyday needs. PeopleReady is a national staffing provider with over 600 locations across the country and 30 plus years of experience serving people just like you. They specialize in a variety of industries including retail, manufacturing, logistics, general cleaning, hospitality, construction, and more. People Ready understands that you're busy and on the go. That's where their mobile app, JobStack, comes in. Use the app to place orders or find work 24-7 or wherever you are. And as social distancing continues to change the way we interact with customers, colleagues, and our everyday lives, JobStack provides the ability to find the right temporary workers or work you need while eliminating the amount of physical touch points needed in the staffing process. Visit PeopleReady.com forward slash Startup Life to learn more about how you can partner with PeopleReady. It's time to be about that life, the startup life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. We have a big time, big time guest in the building today. We have Dr. Amy Cathy from the University of Tennessee. How's it going, Dr. C? Hey, it's great, Dominic. How are you? I cannot complain. Are you ready to pour some knowledge into Startup Nation today? I will do my best. It's a great crew. I'm looking forward to uh, this opportunity. Awesome stuff. As always, Startup Nation, my name is Dominic Lawson. This is the Startup Life Podcast, and it is powered by the Bench Podcast Network. So first things first, Dr. C, let's start this thing off right. Tell us about your path up until this point. Just kind of give us your origin story about what you do. All right. So I am here at the Haslam College of Business at the University of Tennessee over in Knoxville and am lucky enough to have three degrees from the University of Tennessee. So I am a true volunteer looking forward to the uh, football game of the season uh, tomorrow. As I know, many people um, in Startup Nation are have their teams and are ready to go tomorrow. And so I, um, I have am lucky to be able to teach and to work at the school that is my alma mater and have been here since the year 2003, working with our graduate and executive education programs, our MBA programs and uh, programs for working professionals here in the Haslam College of Business. I feel obligated to say go Vols in preparation for tomorrow's game. You should say go Vols (laughs) and the Vols will be going 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. So, Dr. Kathy, I'm always fascinated when we talk to educators on the show, because usually there's like a moment or an educator from their past that kind of stared in in this direction. So was there an educator in your life? Was it your parents? Was it a, a, a teacher from high school? What, what made you go in the, the path of being an educator and uh, being a professor there at the UT? Mm, well, the, I am lucky. There have actually been lots of educators in my past. Uh, my mom especially prided herself on education. She was a first-generation college graduate, and is it was very clear to my brother and myself from the day we were born, from both my mom and my grandfather, her father, that we would be in school. And so it is. Um, it was not surprising that we went to college and it was not surprising that we both went on to school to get graduate degrees. I was lucky enough to be the first person in my family to get a PhD and perhaps embarrassed the University of Tennessee by the number of family members that attended my graduation because it was a big deal for our family. 
but I will actually say that the biggest influence in terms of wanting to come and, and be in education was the opportunity to work in industry for a little while after I graduated from college. I, um, I loved my job and loved the work that I did, but I knew at that point in time that um, although my work was great, that I, I felt after I left school, I felt like I could make a bigger difference working with individuals who are trying to improve themselves and their opportunities in their career. And I could, I just had that feeling and calling that that was a missed opportunity. And that was really what led me back to school to get my PhD and become a, an educator. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. C. I, I appreciate that. I want to actually ask a quick follow-up if I could. So, you know, you, you talked about being a part of, you know, somebody's story to like help them uh, get better professionally or just kind of overall, like kind of help them develop along that path. Why do you get such a good feeling from that? Tell me a little bit about that. If you would. Well, that's a good question. One, I think it, it, you know, I always say I have the best job ever in that people who were really committed to being better and, and, sometimes ready to be better, even if they don't always know if they're ready to, to be better, um, come to come to the university and so come to me. And so the opportunity to really talk with those individuals, sometimes they come to me when they are, have made it to the university and then they're decided they've not, they're not sure if they're ready to go that next step. But they took that first step to at least reach out to the university, in many cases to enroll in the university and to get that far. And so it is a really awesome thing to get to talk to individuals who are at the point of shaping and developing and, and thinking about their career. Most of the students that I work with are already in or have been in the workforce in some way. And so they have um, either companies that they're still working with or companies that they have worked with in the past. And they are trying to really make that decision. Do I have the skills I need to advance or do for my company what I want to be able to do for my company? And, um, you know, any of you, I know you and your uh, work with the startup life have probably there are times that life is going really well, and there are times that you think, what would you know if there was somebody else that were managing this business, would they be better than me at it? And that's just Absolutely. a normal human a, a nature and experience. And so it's really fun to be able to to work with people to help them think through where are their great gifts and and where might there be gaps in their um, skill set that that they can help to fill and do more for their businesses. And when they're able to do more, it really creates um, opportunity in their families and their communities and in their organizations as well. So it's, you can tell I get very passionate about that kind of thing. Absolutely. And that's why I wanted to ask you about that, because one of the things that we talk about on uh, the Startup Life podcast is the importance of professional development and always getting better, always sharpening the saw if you will. So I appreciate you sharing that with us, Dr. C, for sure. Um, I, I want to ask you this because, well, Startup Nation, look, start, Dr. C, uh, in addition to being a senior lecturer, she actually, she teaches marketing at the Executive MBA Program for Strategic Leadership, Healthcare Leadership, and Physician Executive MBA Programs. So Dr. C, I want to ask you this, you know, how different is the marketing across those three difference, di- three disciplines? Because I imagine they're not, they're not the same for each. That's a great question. Um, you know, our strategic leadership program, those are, that represents primarily individuals who come from 
um, well, they come really from a variety of different industries, but um, most of those students come from the corporate world. So they could be selling Kleenex or they could be selling aluminum or they could be someone in the um, military, uh, uh, in the civilian side of the military, who is here um, to increase their knowledge and ability to service, you know, our nation's government, which is one of our largest businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, It really runs the whole gamut. But generally among that group, we um, are able to talk about marketing in, in the way that that most of, I would say, the startup nation as consumers experience it. You know, you walk through the grocery store and see what's on the shelves. You're watching TV. You're getting texts and ads in your email and on your mobile phone from a variety of different companies that touch you as a consumer. And um, as a marketer, you have really a lot of freedom to go right to the person that's going to buy your product and, um, and talk about the benefits of that product. So it's, it's hard because you got to find those consumers, but it's fun because you can get, um, you know, metaphorically face to face with that, um, consumer and you really have the opportunity to, to sell them on your product and the value that it provides in the healthcare space. It's a little bit different because, um, in, in healthcare, in education, in government, sometimes the payer is different than the consumer. And so, you know, there's a a lot of sort of question um, of who are you marketing to? And um, in the healthcare space, especially, it is um, becoming easier and easier to market directly to the consumer. You see um, some of the pharmaceutical companies, if you watch TV at night, you see all these drugs for conditions you never knew existed um, advertised on TV and hospitals and um, uh, physician practices do a considerable amount of marketing to the consumer as well. But it is a little bit different in that space because of the payer side and the, um, the insurance companies that really play a big role in that area. That's a great question. Thank you for sharing that. I actually have a follow-up question, if I if I may, uh, and specifically for the healthcare and the physician part of marketing, because I imagine there's certain ethical things that come to mind when it comes to marketing as well. We're talking about, you know, sometimes, you know, drugs or, I mean, you know, no, uh, you know, medications and things of that nature. So could you talk about kind of like the ethical side of the marketing for that piece as well? Well, you know, it's interesting. It's not just healthcare that there's an ethical uh, piece and and it is the responsibility uh, of marketers in, in any situations, but certainly drugs are regulated. Cigarettes are regulated you know, alcohol is regulated. There's a certain set of identified risks that come along with use of certain products that um, by law you have to include. And so that's why you see on some of the pharmaceutical commercials, you see the commercial and then at the end with the person talking really fast, they're like, this can cause, you know, blah, blah, blah. And whatever person is using it, ask your doctor. And, um, and then you see that, like I said, in other industries as well. Of course, you have to comply with ethical guidelines. Um, it, it is really interesting in marketing, in thinking through the, the ethical piece of it. 
it is an interesting piece that all business owners believe strongly, most business owners, the For good sure. business owners For believe sure. strongly in the product that they're selling and, and they believe in the value that is being provided. And so I, I don't think you'll find a business owner of any product, even ones that, that we may consider to be products that have dual sides, that owner is not there trying to make life worse for the customer. That work owner is trying to solve a problem for that customer. Sometimes those problems are um, have risks associated with them. And so that that's the, the piece that the, I think the government guidelines uh, fall into. But I think, you know, in terms of ethics, the, the keys are really to be able to describe the, pre- the value that your product provides, to be honest, to be, um, to be clear about the risks that are associated with any particular product, um, and then to allow the consumer to make their own informed decision. And so, of course, you hope, um, and, and I think if you're a successful business, the product that you are in the business of um, creating and selling is going to have more value than it has downside. Otherwise, your business is not going to be successful for very long. And so I think that's really, we may get here later in the podcast, but uh, my background is really around understanding what's called customer value. And if you commit to a product uh, delivery system and, and really design system that's based on what customers want and need, it makes it very easy from an ethical standpoint because you are trying to identify wants and unfilled needs in the marketplace. You are trying to design, develop, and deliver products that meet those unfilled needs. And then your marketing is really trying to communicate those needs and how your product can help to fill those gaps to the customer. And it really keeps you on a, a path um, where you stay clear, I think, of some of the really ethical challenges that we see in marketing and other spaces in business as well. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. And we actually, we're going to, uh, we were going to talk about the customer value piece a little bit later, but since we're already here, let's go ahead and dive into it now. Uh, Sounds good. Because I know that's something that you're very passionate about. So when you're in the classroom and you're talking about customer value, what are you trying to get over to your students? What is the doctrine that Dr. C uh, deploys when she talks about uh, providing that customer value? Kind of share that with us, if you would, please. Sure. So um, so really in the classroom, my classes are really built on the three pillars of customer value, which is understanding the value, delivering the value, and communicating the value. And so mm-hmm. if you think about understanding the value, there is a portion of that that means actually going out and talking to your customer and listening to your customer, which is probably even more important than talking to your customer. Um, For some of the uh, startup nation, you guys are in smaller businesses and organizations. You think, of course, I talk to the customer. I am front and center in my business. Um, It's listening and it's really asking the right questions that encourage the customer to talk about themselves, not just your product. And so I think um, on the determining value side, we are all really good on as customers and suppliers, we are really good about talking about product features. So if you imagine, as an example, go in a, a, a Best Buy and you want to buy a TV, you can have a great conversation with the salesperson about all the product features of that TV. Some of us are going to be extremely knowledgeable as customers about every feature of the TV. It's going to be pushing the sales 
person to, to really pull up the owner's manual and dig into the details of it. Others of us as customers are going to be not knowledgeable at all about the features of that TV. And they really have to rely on the salesperson to talk to us about what that feature does because we don't even know. The, the interesting part about that is it, it really, for the highly educated customer, you're answering questions that allow that customer to make a decision about what they want to buy. From a company standpoint, what you want to get into the position of being able to do is really solving problems for your customer. And you don't solve problems by features. You solve problems by understanding what that customer really needs. And so to be able to have that conversation, you're going to have to move your customer from talking about features of your product to describe what you need, what's going on, what's your situation. And then that company or that salesperson is responsible for translating those needs into a bundle of features that might be able to assist those needs. So as, as an example, um, I have a 16-year-old a daughter and she rides horses. She loves being at the barn. She will get there at 6 a.m. in the morning and sweeps um, muck stalls and you know, all rain or shine, that is just her passion. She'd rather do that than go to school, but she does go to school. But, uh, you know, she'll get in and she'll get ha- very hands-on and dirty. And so we recently were in the market to get a car for her um, since now she has her driver's license and is very excited about the opportunity to drive herself. And one of the things that, that we wanted was to make sure that whatever car we got could stand up to the dirt and muck that she gets, not just on her shoes, but on her whole body from being out at the barn. We didn't want to, you know, have the car um, smell after a few months because she had been in it, you know, and on 90 degree days and on other days. So, um, so we were able to um, discern that for her leather seats or vinyl seats would be a lot better than fabric seats. And so that became part of the characteristic of what we were, were um, looking for in a car. And so is from a sales standpoint, our sales uh, person was really able to show us a couple of options. Once he understood what we were looking for, there's obviously a big difference in cost between vinyl seats, which are at the low end and leather seats, which were at the high end of the car and could help us find what we needed to meet our need of having really durable coverings on the seats that could be wiped off if there was mud on her clothes. And so, um, so that sort of determining value and determining value at the needs level, getting your customer to talk about themselves and what they need. um, It's not only important in terms of being able to meet those needs, but also in building the relationships that lead to repeat business. So anyway, that is, a, a long story to say that this whole idea of determining value and we talk through processes that you can use to do that. I mean, one of the very simple processes is just going out and talking to a customer, having that real conversation, kind of getting out of the sales piece of that heat of the moment of, of pushing to close a sale and saying, hey, let me just talk to you about my business, my set of products, what's interesting to you about it, learn about them. Why, what are the reasons that they uh, initially expressed that interest in your business or your product? Um, it can tell you a lot about where the fit is between your business and 
uh, or your products and the and the uh, wants and opportunities that your customers have. So, so that's the whole value determination part. And then the value delivery piece, we spend a lot of time on that, thinking in terms of product design, development, bringing products to the market. How do you price? How do you, where do you sell or deliver products in ways that it really adds to the convenience and the ability to add value for um, your your target customer base. And then we move into uh, the value communication piece where we look at, you know, how do you get the word out? How do you have conversations with customers to help them understand for some products, especially healthcare, very complex products? It's not a one, you know, it's not a one and done like you're selling uh, dial soap. So how do you get those conversations started to be able to um, help your customers figure out the best path for them and choosing uh, what they need? And um, what are the tools, you know, now with social media, with um, so many different ways, digital media and different ways of reaching uh, different customer groups, there are more options than there ever have been before. So how do you create um, a portfolio of tools that you can use um, and still stay focused on value and meeting the needs of your customer at a really good um, price point? Got you. Thank you for sharing all of that, Dr. C. I really appreciate the part where you talk about understanding from the customer's standpoint of providing that value. I really do appreciate that. And Startup Nation, if you're looking to get more insight and, and have that professional development piece yourself, and you're thinking about going you know, back to school into the MBA program to get great instruction from Dr. C herself, then we have a link in the show notes for the application to apply for the UT uh, Business MBA program there in the show notes. Uh, for easy access. So make sure you check that out for sure. So, Thank you very much, Dominic. Oh, no worries. I, that's kind of part of the thing we do here at the, at the Startup Life. And so also Startup Nation, just want to point out that the Haslam School is one of the one of the top ranked business schools in the country, as cited by Bloomberg, US News, The World Report, Princeton Review, and more. So make sure you check all of that out. We have the link in the show notes for easy access. So I want to ask you about this, Dr. C. So Tennessee, our state, appears to be becoming very bus- a very business-friendly state. Uh, many businesses from around the world are moving here due to low taxes, cheap labor. Uh, even our, our current and former governor come from very successful business careers. And even CNBC last year had us rank as the 13th state uh, in the country uh, best to do business in. So I just want to ask you, do you see this trend continuing in here in our state? That's a good question, and I, um, you're singing my song with the with the thought. It, it has been a really good business environment in our state and our country. We have seen really strong economic growth in the state, and it's created a lot of benefits for the state. From my standpoint, I do see that trend continuing. It is we see businesses and and students who are sponsored by businesses coming into the. Um, graduate and executive programs, their companies are growing. Their companies are investing more in the state. We are seeing uh, uh, locations from national and international companies appearing in the state that we really just wouldn't have guessed that we would see uh, 10 years ago. And so I am very enthusiastic about the growth and economic development of the state and what that means for the future. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. It also seems like we're developing a bit of a business rivalry, rivalry with California because I, I've, I've noticed that some 
California businesses have moved to Tennessee and it kind of maybe start a little war of wars between Governor Lee and Governor Newsom there. But, no, that's just kind of fun banter we like to kind of see. From time. Hey, I told you I was born and raised in Tennessee. I'm all for Tennessee. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I appreciate that. So uh, I want to ask you about this as well, kind of sticking to uh, the, the theme of, you know, Tennessee and entrepreneurial culture and business culture here. Uh, yesterday, as of this recording, we, we just wrapped up 3686, the entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurship festival in, in Tennessee, particularly in Nashville. And we have former Governor Haslam there, Senator Bob Corker there, and many others speaking to entrepreneurs across the volunteer state. Why are festivals like these, Dr. C, important to continue to have? Well, if you think, I mean, they celebrate entrepreneurship, which is, I know that's that's your area, but... Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you what the every business started out as a small business and a new business, and you know you hear a lot of statistics ninety something percent of of small businesses fail our business ideas fail, I guess I should say, mm-hmm. and um, you know we hear the same thing about goals that people set in general ninety five percent of new year's resolutions fail, and so uh, you know, I look at those statistics and I, I, I don't get discouraged by them because there are a lot of business ideas out there that really never have the, the chutzpah and the, the framework behind them to ever give them the chance for success. But for those entrepreneurs who really believe in their business idea and really want to get out there and try it in the market, the success rates are a lot higher and one of the contributors to a better success opportunity is getting to talk with other entrepreneurs, people who failed, people who've done things wrong, people who would have done things differently the next time that they get a new business started. And having those conversations and those networks and those abilities to share experiences, good and bad, are really critical to creating a business pipeline within our state. And festivals like the 3686 and the things that you are talking about, that's right. exactly where a lot of those conversations happen. And so in my mind, that's a really exciting uh, opportunity for anyone, even if they've just gotten ideas or just kind of feel they have the itch to be an entrepreneur at some point in their career to, to see what's happening on the ground and to hear about the kind of difference it makes. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I actually want to switch gears here because uh, there's kind of a bit of a, a marketing war that's kind of going on here. And I want to talk about it a little bit. So I, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the chicken sandwich wars that we're kind oh, of yeah. going through right now, right? So uh, for those of you who may not know, which I would be shocked if you don't, uh, there seems to be some type of issue with, uh, well, not issue, but uh, you have Popeye's who just released a new chicken sandwich and they're competing with Chick-fil-A and then Wendy's has gotten to the fold and others. So I, I came across a stat, Dr. C, that said that with social media and everything, that Popeye's has pretty, has pretty much gotten about $23 million in free advertising through social media, things going viral, things of that nature. So I'm always curious, where do people get that figure from? How is that calculated? (laughs) Well, what I was typically, um, the way you get a figure like that is you would look at the amount of stories, the amount of articles that have been written about the war and um, then they would put a dollar value. Those, of course, were free because they were printed as news articles in, in newspapers or broadcasts on paid radio and, and news channels. And so they would say, well, if we were 
we would have gotten this much space as a paid ad, as opposed to a news story, what would the value of that have been? And so, so that's where they get that. But I I will say that the chicken sandwich war has been a really interesting and fun thing to watch from marketing standpoint. If you think about Chick-fil-A's really long standing ownership leadership position in the the space of kind of being that go to staple lunch chick for your basic chicken sandwich um, I am really surprised that it has taken this long for some of the other competitors to come up with something really similar and um, it has been very interesting that once a similar product was introduced on the market the dramatic number of people who have gone to test this similar product offered by a different company. And so it, from a, from a marketing standpoint and and from an entrepreneurial standpoint from your audience, it really cautions against ever being complacent. Mm. Uh, We always talk about the difference between being, having loyal customers and having customers that are just trapped because there's no better alternative. And you can't tell the difference because they're both coming in your door and they're both buying. The way you can tell the difference is when a competitor um, has a similar offering, the trapped customers will quickly leave and the loyal customers will not look at what the competitor's offering is. And so understanding um, for your business, the extent to which customers are loyal versus trapped is really critical. If you're in a market, especially that's growing in terms of competition, because you can see, I mean, right now, at, everywhere across the country, there have been lines, drive-through lines. I wow. mean, the, the articles have all been around traffic jams and all these other issues that have been caused from the overwhelming volume of people that are showing up at, at Popeyes and, and Wendy's and some of the other stores to, to, to experiment with these new products. And so what that tells me is, there probably was some complacency that, that came into the market from the market leader standpoint. And, and as a, as a lesson for an entrepreneur, that's a really yucky position to be in. And uh, fortunately Chick-fil-A has a, has a, some strength in terms of their business. And I know that they will do very well um, and recover from that particular situation, but a, an, a startup doesn't always have that level of bandwidth and ability to, to um, work through a low point situation. And um, because what will end up being required is an investment to get out of the low point. And, um, and so from a startup standpoint, it kind of goes back to this understanding your customers and really understanding why they're there. Are they there because they want to be there? Are they there because they have to be there? And if they're only there because they have to be there, that's a, a tough situation to be in as an entrepreneur. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I was actually was going to ask a follow-up question about what are some of the lessons we can learn uh, from these uh, chicken sandwich wars or chicken sandwich competition or whatever the case may be. But I think complacency uh, is a very good one. So I definitely appreciate you sharing that for sure. Um, I want to ask a quick follow-up uh, and it's actually – in regards to Wendy's, because over the past couple of years, Wendy's marketing campaign has come from a place of like, I guess, making fun of the competition or making fun of people that challenge it. So I, I guess from, you know, a marketing standpoint, why does that work? Why is like Wendy's kind of going like if it was a political uh, entity, if it was going negative, if you will, why does that work? And why is it getting 
uh, such rave reviews from that marketing standpoint? You know, I mean, it kind of goes back to the principles of marketing, hitting your target market. Okay. And, um, I think, you know, it's kind of fun sometimes to see an organization that can laugh at itself and others. Gotcha. Um, and, and I think that, that, that the Wendy's commercials have kind of interjected some humility and some humor. And I, I think in general, they haven't been perceived as evil and mean. They have just been funny, like the, the funny guy in your crowd of friends that right. says stuff that, you know, makes everybody laugh. And, and that's the, the, the personality that, that Wendy's has really been able to infuse in their uh, ads and their commercials. And so in terms of why it works, I think that uh, it was different. It was unique and it met the needs of that market and helped them laugh and helped them remember to come to Wendy's. <laughs> do, do you think that was on purpose or did it all happen by accident? What, what's your theory? Well, like, is it, know, was it a tweet gone wrong and it just worked or was it, you think it was by design? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'd, I'd love to say it was absolutely by design. It was great marketing that they had planned and figured it all out. Um, but that's not exactly um, always the way it works. And so it's very possible that it was great recovery from uh, something that might have not been intended. And you know what? I think that's an even better skill if it was. Gotcha. I appreciate that. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. How do you like being on the Startup Life so far, Dr. It's awesome, Dominic. You are an awesome, awesome host. All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. This episode of The Startup Life is tucked in nice and tight by Philip Stein and the Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet. Startup Nation, getting quality sleep is super important, especially for those of us as entrepreneurs. I know for me, if I don't get enough quality sleep, not only do I not perform well while working in my business or exercising, but also it really affects my mental health and that doubt starts to creep in. And that's the last thing we want as entrepreneurs. Also, with everything going on, good quality sleep is important to repair the body and support a good immune system. And that is why Startup Nation, I wear the Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet. The Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet uses natural frequency technology to reinforce our biomagnetic field to improve deep sleep, length of sleep, and overall sleep quality. This helps produce a healthier heart, regulate weight control, and helps strengthen the immune system, which helps destroy bacteria and viruses. Right now, when you go to philipstein.com, use code SLEEPEZ, and you will get 10% off the entire store. That's promo code SLEEP, capital E, capital Z. So if you are ready to be more productive in leading your business, go with the Philip Stein Sleep Bracelet, proven to be natural and safe to give you a better, deeper sleep. This episode of The Startup Life is brought to you by the Risk Management Society. Startup Nation, the Risk Management Society, or RIMS, is a global organization dedicated to the profession of risk management. For nearly 60 years, RIMS has delivered the latest strategies and resources that allow risk professionals to grow, innovate, and succeed in any business. RIMS works with industry leaders to produce content and online training that business professionals turn to. Topics include business continuity, cyber risk, 
risk management techniques, the fundamentals of insurance, and more. There is also a private members-only site where people can discuss sensitive issues and get honest answers. Members have been leaning on each other as we all navigate this global pandemic. If you're concerned about the safety of your employees and the sustainability of your organization, you need the resources and connections RIMS provides. Learn more at go.rims.org forward slash startup life. If you're listening to the replay on the podcast, we have a link there in the show notes. You can save 25% off a year-long membership. So if you're ready to get the resources and strategies you need to manage risk, go with RIMS and join their global network of over 10,000 members across more than 60 countries. Support for The Startup Life is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Startup Nation, personal grooming is super important, not only from a hygiene standpoint, but also from a confidence one as well. And that is why you need to have a tight haircut and, well, a nice groomed undercarriage as well. And when doing that, you don't want to use the same razor, do you? That's just absurd. And this is why our friends at Manscaped have given you another option. Introducing the all-new Lawnmower 3.0 by Manscaped. This lightweight and waterproof razor features precision engineered blades for safe trimming in sensitive areas and a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. Ladies, Father's Day is just around the corner and this will make a perfect gift for that guy on the go. Use code the Startup Life in all caps for 20% off and free shipping on your brand new Lawnmower 3.0 at manscaped.com. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. And while you're there, be sure to check out all the other products from manscaped.com as well. So for proper manscaping without the fear of hurting anything, go with Manscaped. Trust me, your family of jewels will thank you. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. All right, Startup Nation, so let's continue. So, Dr. C, if you would, share with us the role that you uh, have there at the uh, University of Tennessee and everything that you do when it comes with it. Sure. So, I actually have two roles. One of my roles we have already uh, talked about. I am a senior lecturer, and I teach in several of our executive MBA programs I teach some of our non-degree courses. Uh, most of that work focuses around marketing, a little bit of it around leadership. Um, and then I have an administrative role. I actually work with all of our graduate and executive education programs in the Haslam College of Business to um, on their marketing. Uh, my, my role there is executive director of business development, but my uh, responsibility is really making sure that we get the word out about our uh, graduate programs, especially um, there are a lot of people that think about UT. They think about UT um, as a great place to come and pursue their undergraduate degree. And not everybody knows the uh, breadth of graduate programs that are offered, especially through the College of Business. And so that is part of my job to help um, get that word out. But it also, I love it. It gives me the opportunity to use uh, the tools and tricks and marketing and stay current that uh, helps me in the classroom as well. So that's, that's a little bit about me. Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that. So I, I you know as your role as a, a senior lecturer, I'm, I'm curious when you prepare for a lecture with your students or speaking engagements, what are some of the preparation that you, that you go through? Because we have a lot of people in Startup Nation who want to be influencers and things of that nature. But, you know, public speaking is something that not everybody's is willing to kind of jump at. So kind of share with us your process when it comes to speaking engagement or preparing a lecture. 
Well, I, I think it's a little different for a speaking engagement where okay. you don't know the audience and um, you are have usually a short amount of time to get a lot of information across. And so for those, I, I really almost always think in terms of my messages, the things that I talk about and put a lot of time up front, really almost writing a script. Um, you can't go up and read from the script, but especially for um, people who are not as have not spoken in front of groups as often or who might be a little bit nervous uh, speaking in front of groups, having that script, writing it down, literally saying it in front of the mirror. Um, for me, even now, um, literally saying it to understand how much time it's going to take to make the points that I wanted to make is really an important piece because you don't ever want to go into a, a speaking engagement over lunch or a part of a, a group and not be very respectful of individuals time. Of course, they came to learn something and to hear something. So you also want to be sure you're delivering value in that content. Within the classroom, it's a little bit different because okay. you've got a defined amount of time. I, I, I know my students, you know, once a year or twice a year, it's a brand new group, but it's uh, at that, once you get the class, you know who's going to be in the class. And um, and so you really have the opportunity in a class to do more of relationship building. And so in my classes, that means I'm not the only one that's talking. The class is talking. When I'm making a, a presentation in a more larger or public setting, you can't really start up a conversation with a member of the audience. But in the classroom, you can leverage some of the knowledge that's in the classroom. And that's really one of the things that makes our executive education classes so uh, unique and I think so fun for the students is that all, all of the faculty um, engage some of the experience that's in the classroom as part of the classroom conversation. And so um, it, it those are those are for me very low stress. Um, I still prepare. Um, in, in my classroom, a lot of times I use examples from my students' businesses, which means I, I actually go out and do similar to what you did for me for this uh, podcast. Okay. I'll learn a little bit about my students' businesses and their role in the businesses, and then we're able to use those as examples, and then the student is able to kind of provide the backstory of whatever has happened and it really enriches the classroom discussion. So preparation is there either way, but it's very different because in a, a, a presentation situation, I'm really focusing on what is the value that I can add in terms of content and how can I be really respectful of the audience that's there, but I don't always have all the information about who's going to be there. Right. In the classroom, I'm really a lot more focused on um, making sure that I leverage the knowledge that's in the classroom to make sure that we, that the entire group gets the best learning experience that they can. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. So in speaking you know, about your students, if I were to ask one of your students what your teaching style was, what would they tell me? Would they, are you the motivator, the one that brings tough love? Are you the philosopher or something else? Hmm, that's a good question. Well, you know, I get student evaluations, so I, I, okay. I think I know a little bit about what they would say. And, and then, of course, the nice part about working with students who are a little bit older and in positions, they are not shy about telling you what they think. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> so so I, I, I think that, uh, that generally they would say, I, uh, 
I do a good job of creating a learning environment where they can learn. And that's, a, I feel very honored at that comment because I feel like if I have done that, um, I have done well. Um, I would probably, I am the motivator. I am the, the person that says, hey, we, we're going to get this done and we're going to figure out how to get this done. And um, then we put together a process and, and get through um, whether it's material or projects or, or whatever the pieces are, we work hard in the classroom and, and are sure that we're really diving into some of the material that's out there. Um, I, am, I am great at tough love but I am probably not the toughest teacher. Mm. I am, I probably, my philosophy is more, let's set up the opportunity for everybody to be successful. And as long as everybody's going all in, in terms of that opportunity, then I look at everybody as successful instead of trying to create grades that are really different in term in the end. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. And it's funny you mentioned that because I actually went to a little website. You may have heard of it it, called RateMyProfessor.com. Oh, my kids go to that all the time and they (laughs) look me up. (laughs) Yeah, and so one of your students said, Professor Kathy is the sweetest professor I've ever had. She is very knowledgeable about what she is teaching. So I imagine that's something that you very much appreciate, huh, Dr. C? Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing that. So I want to ask you this because, you know, we have uh, the athletic director there, Phil Fulmer, who is, who's come back to Tennessee. We got T Martin there who is back at Tennessee. We have yourself and countless others who have gone to ten- to university of Tennessee and have come back to coach there, teach there or in different capacity. Let me ask you this. What does it mean to you when you see UT alums come back to teach coach or whatever the next generation of volunteers? That's a great question. And, and I, I'll preface this by saying that I was born at UT hospital. So I have literally started my <laughs> life at UT and I'm fortunate to uh, be in my career now at UT. And um, I realized that UT probably wouldn't benefit if everyone were just like me. It's good to have a diversity of ideas and different sure. perspectives and, and we all learn from each other and we do that from by bringing in different experiences. But I think it is a real compliment to the university when somebody who's an alum, somebody who's been in a leadership role in the university chooses to come back to the university. Somebody who knows us chooses to come back to us and, and invest um, a portion of their career here, if not their entire career here. And to me, that enriches the university in a really strong way. It's also a compliment to the um, to the strength of the institution that someone who would have gone to school here and been our customer in terms of learned here um, wants to also spend their career here. And so I think we're in a really fortunate spot just now. I have I have no inside knowledge of UT football, although I'm a hundred percent predicting a volunteer win tomorrow. Um, we also have I, I don't know how many of the startup nation follows uh, UT news from the academic side, but we have a new chancellor who started um, this summer, Dondi Plowman, and she was here for four years as department head, actually in the. Haslam College of Business left to go to the University of Nebraska and has um, just recently chosen to come back and was named chancellor. And I think that is underscores that strong statement about the university and the uh, future of the university to have a leader like that. 
Awesome stuff. Thank you for sharing all of that. I appreciate that. So one of the things that, you know, we talk about on the startup life and you, I kind of mentioned this earlier, the importance of, you know, being part of somebody's story, being able to kind of help somebody develop, maximize uh, them to their fullest potential. And so when I think about, you know, famous UT uh, uh, administration or people that work there, I think of Pat Summit. And so I, I guess I wanted to know, you know, when you think about Pat Summit and the, car- the career that she had and things of that nature, what is something that you think that, you know, that, that kind of really attributed to her success as a, not just as a coach for basketball, but as a coach of developing young people? That's a good question. And, and I'll give you this really sort of personal example. Absolutely. She, um, she as you know, was here at UT for a long time and she made, has a big influence on uh, many, many people here, not just basketball players who played for her. Although as you, if you follow any of her career, that, that was an immense influence. Um, But she, she was really willing to give her time to promote the university and to promote UT basketball, but also to promote the ability of young people and especially young women to be successful. And so you, you hear a lot of the stories from her, you know, she would tell her uh, players, you, you not only go to class, you've got to sit on the front row of class. You cannot miss class. I mean, she, she was determined that she was going to create requirements for the things that she could control that would help her players be successful. And um, I think that was really um, contributed to her athletic success as well as the success of her her players and, and students as individuals as well, because she was going to make sure they did the right thing every day. And to me, um, you know, I think that's a great lesson for, for any of us, um, and especially for entrepreneurs who can't always predict what the next day is going to bring in their business you do the right thing every day. Some days you win, some days you lose. But when you're doing the right thing and building those skills that you need, it's going to shine through in the end. And she was just a, a shining example of that. I appreciate that. I, I think my biggest takeaway from that is do the right thing every day. So I appreciate you sharing that for sure. So Dr. C, I know you have a beautiful family. You have Robert there and you have three uh, amazing daughters. So I want to ask you this. What is something that your daughters have taught you that has made you a better educator? My daughters teach me all the time. That is a uh, that from the time they were born, they were teaching me uh, different things. But as they have grown into into really wonderful young women and they are 16, 16, 19 and 20 now, um, they they really do teach me in ways by their words and I see their their ways of learning and and really their intelligence that uh, sometimes I realize you know we're all not very good about seeing ourselves um, and I am I fall into that category. I don't like to see myself. I get embarrassed when people say things about me or compliment me and I tend to live under the radar and not want to toot my own horn, I guess is the best way to say that. And and my daughters, recently we had a conversation where my middle daughter, and I would have never expected this of her, um, she said, mom, you shouldn't be embarrassed by that. 
you are a strong woman and you're in business. And if you always say we need more women in business, you shouldn't mind if people lift you up as somebody, because whenever you are lifted up, it makes people like me want to be more like you. And um, so I, I did think, and it's funny that you asked this question because I did think just last week, you know, at what point do your daughters start being a lot smarter than you are in terms of uh, what they can provide. So, so I think that they have not only made me a better educator, but a better person. I hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Dr. C, what's your superpower? (laughs) Uh, I'd say my superpower is intuition. So before I ask the last question, I just want to say, Dr. C, thank you so much for coming on the Startup Life podcast, powered by the Bench Podcast Network. You gave amazing value from understanding uh, customer value to providing some great insight on the chicken sandwich wars that we kind of had a fun discussion about. So I appreciate all of that. So I'm actually going to turn the microphone over to you because there's somebody out there in Startup Nation that's either afraid to start a business or maybe they're afraid to go back to school to get that MBA. Give them some words of encouragement to tell them to keep moving forward. Oh, that's a great um, opportunity. And I appreciate everybody who has tuned in today. I uh, had the opportunity actually to talk with uh, an alum a former student a couple of weeks ago who who said something very similar. Do you think I should do this thing that was going to enhance my career? And and that can be taking that risk to start your own business that you've always had in the back of your mind because it is very difficult to leave. If you have a role that you're successful in, you're certainly getting paid in, you're doing well in, the thought of taking that big risk to go out and, and go on your own and, and start a business can be extremely scary. Um, the start of the thought of coming back to school when you're kind of rocking and rolling out there in your own business um, can also be a little bit intimidating. And so what I was able to say to this student and I would share it with the startup nation is just like they say in the publisher's clearinghouse, you can't win if you don't enter. And so if you don't choose to put yourself in the game, you're not going to win the game. And sometimes that means a little bit of extra work. Now, I'm all for mitigating risk. Are there ways that you can do it and not completely expose your family and every investment you have? Absolutely. In an entrepreneurial space, maybe you can find a way to do your business at nights, weekends, and put some um, sweat equity in before you go all in. In the school space, um, I will say there's an increasing number of graduate and executive programs that are really designed around the needs of the working professional and that would allow you to work while you go into school. At UT, our executive MBA programs, they are designed in such a way that you um, actually are in school one week a quarter. So one week out of every three months you come four times, you start in January, you graduate in December. Essentially, you're making a four-week, and there are four intense weeks, but a four-week commitment out of the office to be able to come back and get your degree. Everything else we do in between is online um, or work that you're able to do um, from home. And there are an increasing number of online programs and part-time programs that make it possible to keep working and continue to. Um, improve your um, education level by um, attaining an additional degree. So the opportunities are out there. It just requires you to take a little bit of initiative uh, and explore. I will definitely make this offer to uh, the uh, 
the, the nation. And that is, if I can be of help to you in any way, my uh, email is akathy, A-C-A-T-H-E-Y, at utk.edu. You are welcome to email me. I'd love to set up a time for a call. Would be happy to talk with anyone about their um, business, about their ideas, about pursuing additional degrees. And um, I'm sure that we can uh, perhaps find some encouragement and some opportunity for everyone to get out there and be the best person that they can be. So I appreciate the opportunity very much to be on today, Dominic. Thank you so much. Oh no, I appreciate you. Thank you for sharing that. And once again, Stoddermation, we'll have all of Dr. C's contact information there in the show notes for easy access. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life Podcast. Did you enjoy being on the show, Dr. C? Absolutely. This was great. And you have made me really hungry for a chicken sandwich too. So I'm going to have to figure <laughs> out a way to, to get out there. Awesome stuff. You'll be willing to come back, Dr. C? Absolutely. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life Podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup Nation, and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life Podcast new website. There you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, If you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life. Startup Nation, we tell you all the time that no one does anything great on their own. That includes starting a business or a nonprofit or even becoming a thought leader or an influencer. My point is that you need a team to do it successfully and responsibly. And that is why you should contact DR and Associates. Danielle and her team provide branding solutions along with digital and social media marketing that provide tangible results you are looking for. No matter if you are a Fortune 500 company or an author looking to make an impact, DR and Associates needs to be part of your team. They are one of the few firms whose leadership has been recognized by Google, which is proof of concept that they are very good at what they do. Contact DR and Associates today to grow your online presence. The number is 615-933-3681, or you can visit their website at drandassociates.com. Also, make sure you follow their Facebook page as well. DR and Associates, providing real clients with real results. Startup Nation, do you have friends and loved ones that you want to do something nice for, but maybe they live in the next city, the next state, or even halfway around the world? Well, I have a solution for you. Koya is the new and best way to let your friends and family know you're thinking of them. 
choose a friend, record a message, and hide it in a location that they are likely to visit and give them a clue. When they arrive, your message will instantly appear. You can even send them a gift. Best of all, the app is completely free. Get Koya.com to download it now. That's K-E-T-K-O-Y-A.com. Or check the link in the show notes. Koya, show you care when you can't be there.